0: And, and with your families, uh, again, what a joy that is. So uh, join me in a, in a short word of prayer. And Father, we come, and, and Father, we, uh, just as we, as we sang, we do pray that you would speak to us through your word. Father, that you would feed and nourish us by your word, that you would take it and, and plant it deep within us, that we would be those who hear your word and obey your word. Father, we pray that you would do that uh, by your spirit in our hearts today, and we pray this in Jesus' name amen well this is not going to come to a surprise as a surprise to many of you but many countries and communities have building codes for for new buildings that are built So building codes are simply rules and and regulations that governments put in place that new buildings have to conform to as they're being built, usually for the safety of those who are going to one day live in those buildings or one day work in those buildings. So an example might be, there may be a law that all new buildings have to have a fire alarm in the buildings to alert residents or those working in them if if a fire were to break out or there may be rules and regulations that forbid harmful materials from being used in the construction process. Uh, Another thing about building codes is that you'll find different building codes in different regions of a country or in different areas of the world. Uh, So along the coastline of the southeastern United States, not too far from the area that, that I'm from, well, new homes and new buildings have to be able to be built to withstand hurricanes that, that area of the world gets struck by hurricanes not too infrequently so new buildings have to be built in a way that they're not going to collapse in in very strong winds so the, the building codes in that area take into account that particular threat well in, in other areas of the world where earthquakes are more prevalent you'll find some earthquake specific building codes uh, so those buildings have to be built in a way that they're going to withstand the, the shaking or the twisting forces that, that happen when an earthquake hits so that they won't collapse. Actually, many of those building codes have arisen because buildings have collapsed in the past and killed many. So new buildings now have to be built in a way that they will not do that. Now the bottom line is that the building codes often reflect the unique threats from uh, the natural world around them. They reflect the the unique environmental threats that are faced in those regions of the world. Uh, But the thing with these these building codes and the buildings that are built is that often you cannot really tell whether a building was built up to code just by looking at it. You can't just go stare at a building and say, yes, that building is gonna withstand an earthquake. you can't tell if a builder may have taken a shortcut, a shortcut that they should not have taken to to save money. The proof will only come when the hurricane comes or when the the earth starts to shake. Those buildings that were built poorly will be exposed at that time. So most buildings will will stand and and most buildings will will look fine when the weather is good. So the true test only comes when, when disaster strikes and these buildings are put to the test. Well, there's a, a great parallel to this in our in our spiritual lives. The fact is that the foundation of our spiritual lives or the or the health of our spiritual lives is, is often revealed by the circumstances that we face in this life or the challenges or the trials that we face in this life. And the point is that your, your circumstances, the circumstances of your life, they test and they reveal your heart. So in in other words, when the storms of life come, whether that's bad news, sickness, the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, these storms or, or trials or circumstances, they test and reveal whether your spiritual life is built on a firm foundation. Do you have faith that will stand strong in the storms of life or one that will collapse when trials come? Do you have a true faith that is built to last? What is revealed by the circumstances of your life? And these are the questions that we're going to be examining from from Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Plain today. So if you have not already, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke 6, we're going to be in verses 43 through 49 today. So we've spent the last two weeks, or much of the last two weeks, studying Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. In which Jesus is teaching and preaching to his followers about what it looks like to be part of the kingdom of God. What it looks like to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. And this week we see that disciples are those who build their lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his words. Disciples are those who hear and listen to God's words and who act on them, who obey And when the storms of of life come, when the trials come, disciples are those who, who persevere, whose faith remains strong. And so the main idea from this text is that your circumstances test and reveal your heart and show your need for Jesus. Your circumstances test and reveal your heart and show your need for Jesus. With that in mind, I want to examine four biblical principles or ideas that we see in this text. The first is that your actions reveal your heart. Second is that your circumstances test your heart. Third is that God judges your heart. And fourth, Jesus redeems your heart. So your actions reveal your heart, your circumstances test your heart. God judges your heart. But Jesus redeems your heart. So the first principle that we're going to look at from this text uh, this afternoon is that your actions reveal your heart. Uh, So look with me starting at verse 43 in Luke chapter 6. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So as Jesus continues with his sermon on the plain, he compares the human heart to a tree. That is the comparison he is making here. And so if you think of trees, you know, what happens when you plant an apple tree or maybe since we're here in the UAE What happens when you plant a, a date palm? Well, the apple tree is going to produce apples unless there's something horribly wrong with it The date palm is going to produce dates If you plant a date palm, you're not going to all of a sudden walk outside and find a banana growing on your date palm And to use Jesus's example you won't find nasty thorns growing where your apples should be if you plant an apple tree. Now, the opposite is always is also true. If you were to go in your garden and plant one of those spiky or prickly desert bushes they have uh, around here, well, you're not going to all of a sudden walk outside and find a nice clump of grapes growing on those bushes. Uh, in Jesus' example here, the, the tree represents the human heart, and the fruit represents your actions. So the tree, the heart, the fruit, your actions. So the same way that a fruit tree produces fruit and thorn bushes produce thorns, so the heart, your heart, produces words and actions. A fruit tree that produces delicious fruit like dates or mangoes or apples or whatever it might be is compared to the good heart that produces good works or good fruit. A thorn tree or a a thorn bush, then, is compared to the evil heart that produces bitterness and anger and wrath and gossip and and really all manner of sinful behavior, just fill in any sin that you want. And Jesus compares that to the, the thorn bush here in his example. So when the Bible speaks of the heart... It's really just talking about your your inner person, your your spiritual person. That's what the Bible means when it says the heart. Uh, So in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, which I think we actually have in the library in the back. I'd encourage you to check it out, it's a a great book. But the author, uh, Paul David Tripp, writes this. He writes that the synonym, or the, the, the word most like it, the synonym that the Bible most often uses for the inner being is the heart. It encompasses all the other terms and functions used to describe the inner person spirit, soul, mind, emotions, will, etc. But then he goes on to write this. He writes, Whatever rules our hearts will exercise inescapable influence over our lives and behavior. Whatever rules our heart will exercise inescapable influence over our lives and behavior. In other words, what what he is saying is what you believe, uh, what you worship, what you put your trust in, where your your treasure is. Well, that is going to guide your words and it's going to guide your actions. It is going to inescapably influence your behavior. This is the point that Jesus is making in verse 45 of our text when he says that it is out of the overflow of the heart. of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks so in the same way if you just keep pouring water into a cup eventually that water is going to overflow or whatever is in the heart is going to come out in its words it's going to come out in its actions and your words and your your actions flow from your hearts And so you may remember if you are if you are here during our sermon series through James, the letter of James, that that James really picks up on Jesus' words to make this exact same point. Uh, So you don't have to turn there. But James writes this in James 3, verses 9 through 12. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Well, James is simply making the point in those verses that Christians should be producing good fruit. Making basically the same point that Jesus is making here. Disciples should be producing good fruit. If you are a Christian, James says, you know, Jesus has given you a new heart. And so blessing and cursing or good and bad fruit should not come from the same mouth. And it's not just your, your words that, that Jesus and James are, are after here. They're just usually the most evident of what's going on in our hearts. And they're also after our actions. They're also after our actions. It's not just our words, but it's our actions and it's our behaviors that reveal our hearts. And so if we just go back and we were to look at the context of the Sermon on the Plain, what we've uh, heard and what we've read and what we've studied these last couple of weeks, and we would see that the good fruit that Jesus is talking about here includes loving one's enemies and forgiving others, not self-righteously judging or condemning one another, and the bad fruit, you just have to go back and look at the woes that Jesus pronounced uh, against those who put their trust in the things of this earth rather than heaven. And you just have to go back and, and look or listen to what Pastor Ben preached last week that it includes a, a heart that self-righteously judges or condemns others. So we have good fruit on one hand and bad fruit on the other. The, the key point, though, is that your words and your actions reveal your heart. Your words and your actions give indication of what is going on in your heart. They reveal who or what you're trusting in. They reveal who or what you worship. And that means when you sin with your words, or even if you sin in behavior, it reveals a heart that at least in that moment, and at least in that moment, was not trusting in God or believing in God. John 14 23 Jesus says this if anyone loves me he will keep my word in other words the, the one who loves me the one who loves me and treasures me will obey me as another way of saying that your words and your actions reveal your heart and reveal what you love and in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus tells his disciples to not store up treasure on earth but to store up treasure in heaven instead. Very familiar verses to us. But right after saying that, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, your, your treasure is what your heart values the most. Your treasure is revealed. What your heart treasures is going to be revealed by your words. It's going to be revealed by your actions. So I don't know if you've noticed this, but... In recent years, I've noticed that when uh, celebrities or, you know, somebody, some public figure, maybe a celebrity or politician, needs to issue a a public apology. Maybe they've done or said something that was offensive to some group of people. They have to issue a public apology. Uh, They often say something like, that is not who I am. You know, these, these words or whatever I did, that is not representative of the real me. Well, brothers and sisters, Jesus is saying in these verses the very opposite thing is true. That thing that you did was a window into your inner self. It was a window into the real you. If you get angry or bitter when you suffer financial loss, when a friend does not return money, when a kid breaks something that needs to be repaired, when your car must go to the garage, it reveals that you it may reveal that you are treasuring money more than you are treasuring the Lord. And perhaps it reveals that you are finding your security in your possessions rather than in the Lord. When you give in to sexual temptation, perhaps because you live in a country, a different country than your spouse. And perhaps it's revealing that your heart treasures physical pleasure or companionship more than it treasures the Lord you're unwilling to tell others that you are a Christian, you're unwilling to, to share the gospel, it may reveal a heart that desires the approval of man more than it desires the approval of the Lord. The bottom line is that when you produce rotten fruit or thorns, it reveals that you are treasuring the things of this earth and not the things of heaven. It reveals your heart. As Jesus says, an evil person brings up evil from the evil stored in his heart. If we did, just to go back to James, faith without works is dead. If you claim faith that you never produce good fruits or good actions, if your life is not characterized in any way, shape, or form by kind words or generosity toward others, well, James says, well, that is no true faith at all. Now, as I say that, I, I want to be abundantly clear, and we're going to return to this idea at the end of the sermon, that Christians still battle their sinful flesh. Christians still sin I sin you sin all Christians everywhere still sin and they will keep on sinning until Christ comes again But what Jesus is saying here is a call for Christians to confess their sins To ask God to renew and strengthen their faith that they might produce good fruit And as Christians your life should be increasingly marked by good fruit Over time you should produce more and more good fruit And less and less thorns. And that's because your actions and your words reveal what your heart trusts in. It reveals where you're placing your faith. And that brings us to the the second principle that I want you to see from these verses. And that is that your circumstances test your heart. So first, your actions reveal your heart. Second, your circumstances test your hearts. So look look with me at verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like the man who builds a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. So Jesus gives a a second example or a a second illustration here. And here Jesus makes a contrast between the man who builds his house on a a firm foundation on the rock on something solid with one who builds his house on no foundation. I said a return to the the opening illustration of building codes. It's the contrast between the one who builds his house to withstand the hurricane or the earthquake and the one who who doesn't even build his house in order to withstand a rainstorm or a a dust storm. The difference between the two houses is going to become abundantly apparent when the flood comes. It's going to become abundantly apparent when the storm comes, when the hurricane or the earthquake hits. The one who is built on a solid foundation will survive. But the other, as Jesus said, is going to be destroyed. It's going to be swept away. And so in Jesus' example, this this house that he is talking about, the house is your life. And the firm foundation is is a life and a faith that is built on hearing and obeying the words of Jesus. A firm foundation is a, is a life that is built on hearing and obeying the words of Jesus. It's what Jesus says in verse 47. A person whose life is built on a firm foundation is the one who hears the words of Jesus and acts on them. He obeys them. But it's really, that firm foundation is really even deeper than that. Because the person who hears and obeys Jesus' words it does so because Jesus has given him faith. Because he believes in Jesus. He does it because he, he trusts in Jesus. The one who obeys, obeys because he thinks that God's words are true. He believes in his heart that God's words are true. He believes in his heart that God is good and his words are good, and so his desire and his delight is to listen to and obey God's words. Oh, so in Jesus' example here then, if the life, if, your, if the house is your life, uh, that means the great flood, or the great storm that comes and wipes out the house that is built on the firm foundation, or not, sorry, not on the firm foundation, but on no foundation. So the house that is wiped away when the storm comes. Well, this storm is a picture of God's judgment. The storm is God's wrath that is coming when Christ returns in judgment. And so when you die and you face God's judgment, or when Christ returns, the only question is, the only question will be, was your life built on faith in Jesus Christ or was your life built on something else? Is it built on a firm foundation or was it built on something else? Those whose life is not built on faith in Jesus Christ will be swept away into eternal judgment. That's the picture that Jesus is painting here. On the other hand, those who build their life on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and his words will withstand the day of God's judgment. Well, I say that, and we're going to return to that idea in the next point. And though this great storm, this great storm that Jesus is speaking of is God's judgment, it is the day of God's judgment, I do not think that we should limit Jesus' words to just the day of final judgment here. And so while we can compare the great storm, or the great flood, or maybe the biggest hurricane, or the greatest earthquake, the most powerful hurricane, to God's final judgment, It's also true that in this life we experience smaller storms, smaller floods, you know, little tremors, weaker hurricanes, tropical storms. And these smaller storms are the circumstances of your life. They are the trials of your life. They are the things that you walk through. And these things, these circumstances of your life, these small storms, little tremors, mini dust storms, Well, they are the the small tests that reveal whether you're building your life on a firm foundation. So, for example, if a small rainstorm causes your house to flood, or a a small dust storm blows off a portion of the roof of your house, it's a sign that your house is probably not going to do so well when the bigger storm comes. If one of these small storms does great damage to your house, it's probably not a great sign for what's going to happen when the big storm comes. Well, in a similar way, the trials of your life and in the circumstances of your life are tests that God brings to reveal your hearts and to reveal what you are trusting in. And we see this idea throughout Scripture. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also receive with great joy when His glory is revealed. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. And God says this about Israel's 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. So God is recounting Israel's 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And this is what He says to the nation of Israel. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that... He led them in this 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. In other words, God was using Israel's time in the wilderness, this 40 years of trial and struggle of moving from place to place, he was using it to test them. To reveal what was in their hearts so that they might see the ways in which they were tempted to drift away from god or fail to, to trust in god so that they would continue to place their faith in god he was exposing their hearts now friends god uses the circumstances of your own life in a similar way god uses the circumstances of your own life in a similar way because sometimes he tasks you with suffering and trials but not always actually in Deuteronomy 8 if you were to go read through that whole chapter God's really warning the Israelites there not to fall away from faith in the Lord when they enter the promised land and they Experience all the prosperity of the promised land. He says what's gonna happen is that your hearts are gonna go proud gonna grow proud and you're gonna forgive me when you have all these treasures of the earth When you have this abundant prosperity, you are going to forget me let go so God uses both your your suffering and your prosperity to reveal what you are trusting in. And so this is where the, the illustration of the tree and the fruit, so that first illustration that Jesus gave in this illustration of, of the house built on the foundation, it's when they come together. So when success comes, when prosperity comes and it seems like your life is full of great blessing, what fruit do you produce? Is it good fruit or bad fruit? Do you grow proud? Is your trust in your own skill or wisdom or wealth or whatever else it might be? What do your words and your actions reveal about your heart? On the other hand, when trials come, when you're faced with bad news, or you're faced with difficult relationships or challenging situations, what do your words and your actions reveal? What fruit do you produce? Is it good or is it bad? Do you patiently trust the Lord? Or grow angry and anxious perhaps you grow fearful and bitter because here's the thing if your words and your actions reveal your heart which they do and if your circumstances test your heart which they do you cannot blame your circumstances for your behavior or your words your circumstances are not to blame for your behavior or your words so you're simply revealing your heart yeah, so when people speak harshly or or unkindly to someone, or when someone yells or insults someone, uh, I'm guessing you've heard something like this. "Eh, Sorry about that, I'm just so stressed right now. Or you don't understand, life is just so hard right now. Or my emotions just got the best of me. Or I'm just so tired of dealing with the same situation over and over and over again. Or there's a lot of personal things going on at home. Or that person just really annoys me, that person just really gets under my skin. Or I'm just having a bad day. Or you don't understand, that person said something rude to me first. Or everyone in my family has a temper, that's just who I am. Or I just did not get enough sleep last night. Or I'm not feeling my best. Or we could just keep going and going and going. The point is that you want to blame things outside of yourself for your sin. You want to blame your circumstances. You want to blame your your sickness. You want to blame uh, hunger or other people. But Jesus is saying the problem is your heart. The problem is not your circumstances. The problem is not the other people around you. The problem is not that you're a little bit angry. The problem is your heart. It is your sin. So to go back to an earlier example, it's not the loss of money that makes you angry, but it's a heart that treasures money more than it treasures the Lord. You know, personally, personally, I think I most often get angry at my kids when we're in a hurry to leave our house, especially if we're running, we're running late. Eh, so you know how kids are. Sometimes it just takes them longer to get ready. Sometimes, though, the kids haven't really followed our instructions to go get ready in a timely manner. Maybe they got distracted by something. And so in those situations, it's very tempting to blame them. You now, I got angry because my kids didn't listen to me. They didn't do what I asked. If they'd just done what I asked, I would not have gotten angry. But that's not true. I can say that all I want, but it's not true. The problem is not those circumstances. The problem is my heart. So the question is then, the question is, when the small storms of life come, when the trials come, how do you react? What do these tests show about your heart? You only obey the Lord and follow the Lord when, when life is good and things are easy and there's no storms on the horizon, that's a problem. And if your faith falters every time a storm comes, that's a problem. We're going to come back to this idea. I know I've said that a lot. But I also want you to see that that the test God brings then, because this is true, the tests and the trials and the circumstances that God places in your life, whether trials or prosperity, these are for your good. They are God's kindness to you. And so we... We took our, our kids to the beach a few weeks ago. I think it was actually the day before that huge storm was supposed to hit and they shut down on the roads and then we didn't even get a drop of rain. Uh, so I think it was the day before that big storm was going to get here. So that means like every now and again, some big waves were rolling in on the beach when we were down there and our kids were building a sandcastle on the beach. But because the storm was offshore and the wind was blowing, every few minutes like a larger wave would come in and just wash away and destroy their their sandcastle. Now they kind of liked that. They wanted their sandcastle to be destroyed here. But let's pretend that they didn't for a minute. Let's pretend that they did not want their sandcastle destroyed. Well, what were these these waves doing? These waves were giving reminders to my kids that they needed to, to move their sandcastle farther back Or they needed to build this sandcastle on a firmer foundation or with better materials. These waves were just going to keep coming over and over and over again and destroying their sandcastle. Well, like the waves were reminders to my kids to build in a different place or to build in a firmer foundation. The storms and trials of your life give you a window into your heart that you might see the ways that you are not trusting in the Lord. And that you might turn in repentance. This is why it's God's kindness to you. They show and reveal the foundation on which you are building your life. And this is a kindness from the Lord because of our third point or our third principle. And that third principle is that God judges your heart. So first, your actions reveal your heart. Two, your circumstances test your heart. Three, God judges your heart. I mean, this is the message of verse 49. But the one who hears and does not act is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. So again, as I've already said, the great storm here, this great storm is God's coming judgment against sin. Judgment is coming for those whose life is not built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Matthew 12, 36. Jesus says, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. Second Corinthians 510, Paul writes, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The, the point that Jesus and the point that Paul are, are making, and this point that they are making, is that one day people will have to give an account for their words and their actions because those words and those actions revealed their hearts. It revealed what they were trusting in. And, friends, this is the great problem of humanity. This is the great problem of humanity because you have all spoken careless words and you have all done evil deeds. But just like every single other person on the face of the earth has spoken careless words and done evil deeds. If we go back and look at verse 45, you are the evil people who have produced evil out of the evil stored up in your heart. As we read in Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who seeks God. So if you could somehow, all of a sudden, in this very moment, go back and remember all these small, small storms of life that have come, all these trials and circumstances that God has brought into your life to test you, you know that you would find many, many, many times, more than you can remember, times where you did not react well. If you were honest with yourself, you would know that there were a lot of thorns instead of fruit. It's a long way of saying that you are deserving of judgment. When the flood of God's wrath comes, you have shown that you deserve to be swept away along with this, this man and this house that was built on, a, or built on no foundation. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. God judges the heart. For the wages of sin is death. But there's a but. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The wages of sin is death. God judges your heart, and you are deserving of judgment. You are deserving of death and hell. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Which points us, praise the Lord, to the fourth and final biblical principle that we see from this text. That Jesus redeems your heart. God judges your heart and that Jesus redeems your heart. So the promise of the new covenant, the promise of Jesus is that he will give you a new heart. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27, this is what God said to the sinful nation of Israel, of this nation that had heard God's word over and over and over again, and yet had not obeyed it. This is what God says. I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances friends it is Jesus who gives you a new heart. It is Jesus He is the only one that can give you the heart that you need. It is Jesus who enables you to produce good fruit. It is Jesus who places his spirit within you and gives you ears to hear his word and the ability to obey His word. It is Jesus who redeems your heart. Jesus can redeem your heart for for two reasons. Jesus can redeem your heart for two reasons. The first of those reasons, the first of those reasons is that when Jesus faced the storms of life, he did not sin. He only produced good fruit. The sufferings and trials and temptations that Jesus endured during his life on earth revealed a heart that fully trusted in his heavenly Father. Uh, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan and we actually studied this a few weeks ago in our in our study through Luke, as, as Luke recounts that time in Jesus' life. Those 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness resisting the temptations of Satan were representative of the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness, when, as we just read in Deuteronomy, God was testing the nation of Israel to see what was in their heart. Or Israel failed, and their hearts proved unfaithful to the Lord. Jesus succeeded. His heart was faithful to God. Jesus resisted the temptations of Satan. He obeyed. Jesus was perfectly righteous. He only produced good fruit. And so he can redeem your heart. The second reason that Jesus can redeem your heart is because he took the whole flood and the whole storm of God's judgment on the cross for your sake. The flood that should have crashed over you and destroyed you, this this flood that Jesus is talking about in these verses, it crashed over Jesus instead. He endured the full fury of God's wrath for sin for your sin. And his body was destroyed by the flood of God's wrath. He died. But praise be to God that Jesus did not stay dead. He rose again three days later he rose again he did not remain in the grave three days later he rose again defeating sin and defeating death and showing that god accepted his sacrifice for sin and he did this that you might not be destroyed by the flood of god's wrath when that great storm comes he give, he did that and you might receive the free gift of eternal life and friends if you are here and you are not a christian know that Jesus promises to redeem your heart when you repent of your sins and you place your faith in Him. To place your faith in Jesus is, is really just to say, I have an evil heart. It is to admit, I have an evil heart and I need my heart redeemed. And Jesus, You are the only one who can redeem my heart. You lived the perfect life that I could not live and You died the death that I deserve to die. It's to say, I want to follow you. But Jesus, I want to hear your words and obey your words. And this is what it looks like to build your life on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and his word. And when you do this, when you do this, Jesus' perfect righteousness is placed into your spiritual baby out. And your sin is taken and it is placed on Jesus. He took God's wrath for your sin if you repent and believe. And to those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, to those of you who who are here and are Christians, though your words and your deeds still reveal your remaining sin, though you still produce thorns when you should be producing fruit, though you often fail to respond well in the storms of life, know that you no longer stand condemned. You no longer stand condemned. You no longer face the threat of being swept away by the flood of God's judgment. And that's because Jesus endured God's wrath for you. Jesus endured God's wrath for all who would repent and believe of their sins. But Christian, know this. That Jesus did not just redeem your heart to save you from the flood of God's wrath. And he certainly did this. And praise be to God. Jesus has saved us from the coming judgment of God over sin. But he did not just do this to save you from the flood of God's wrath. He redeemed your heart that you might die as sin and live to righteousness. He redeemed you so that you might produce good fruit and bring glory to your heavenly Father. Brothers and sisters, how can you grow to produce more fruit and less thorns? How can you grow that your life is increasingly being marked by fruit instead of thorns? Notice what Jesus says in verse 45 of our text. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. So we might rephrase that question then. How do you store up good in your heart? First, we only are able to store up good in our heart when Jesus redeems our heart. When he, by his word and his power alone, removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. But God's word says that once he has done this, we do that by abiding in Christ. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because you can do nothing without me. Well, oh, Just like if you were to look at a grapevine, and you find a branch that has been pulled off of that vine, and that branch is never going to go great, grow grapes. It has been removed from its source of nourishment and life. It is getting no nutrients. But the branch that remains connected to the vine produces grapes. It produces fruit. Well, that's the image that Jesus is giving when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And so then to abide in Christ is to rest in Jesus. It's to find your contentment and your satisfaction in Christ instead of the things of the world. But fundamentally, to abide in Christ is to trust in the promises of the gospel. It's to rely on the promises of the gospel. Abiding in Jesus Christ is to love His word. To abide in Jesus Christ is to have His words abide in you. In Psalm 1, the the psalmist writes about the man who is blessed. And remember what we said about this language of blessing back in the Beatitudes that we, we studied a couple of weeks ago. Well, in Psalm 1, the psalmist writes about the man who is blessed. And this is what he says. For the man who is blessed, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, or the Lord's word. And he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season. Friends, how do you increasingly grow to produce fruits and increasingly remove the thorns of your life? It's abiding in God's Word. Reading it, studying it, meditating on it, thinking about how it applies to your life, listening attentively to it as it is preached, talking to other brothers and sisters in Christ about it, and talking about what God has done in your life. God's people store up good in their hearts by abiding in Christ and His Word. But God's people also store up good in their hearts by abiding among His people, the church. And read in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, or love and good fruits, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Brothers and sisters, what the author of Hebrews is simply saying there is that God has given you one another, God has given fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to provoke one another, to provoke you to love and good works. It's a job that other Christians have to do for us and it's a job that we have been given to do for other Christians. It's the job of church members to one another. And the fundamental way Perhaps the most important way that we do that of brothers and sisters in Christ is to gather together in person as we are doing now to worship the Lord together, to sing his praises together, to read his word together, to listen to the same word being preached together, to listen to the same word being read together, to go our ways and talk about it with one another, to ask how we can be praying for one another, to ask for brothers and sisters to pray for us that we might apply it, and to say that God has exposed this area of my heart to sin. To be encouraged when our faith is weak, when we see our fellow brothers and sisters, we see that there are other Christians in this place coming and singing God's praises together, gathering together and saying, yes, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, and yes, my life has been built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and His Word. My friends, we abide in Christ, and we grow to produce less thorns and more fruit by abiding in God's Word, but we do it also by abiding among God's people. Friends, not reading your Bible, Neglecting prayer staying away from the church. It's like cutting off the roots of the tree. it's like Severing the attachment that the branch has to the vine so that it no longer draws the good nutrients from the ground or water from the stream Now these things if you don't read your Bible for a few days You certainly don't cut yourself off from Christ But it's like you're hanging on by a little bit less. You're getting less water. You're getting less nutrients Without water and nutrients you will not produce good fruit we may produce a couple little small grapes here and there, and a kind of an apple that nobody wants to eat. But if you want to produce true good fruits, you need to abide among you need to abide in Christ. Abide in his word. Abide among his people. Brothers and sisters, riding out and surviving the storms of life is not always easy. But Christ has given you the means to survive. Abide in him. Abide in his word. Abide among his people. Jesus Christ is your faithful high priest who can sympathize with your weaknesses because he was tempted and he was tested in every way that you have been, and yet he was without sin. What a comfort that is to know that, that Jesus has experienced the trials and the circumstances of life in the same way that we have, that he endured difficulty, that he suffered death and torture for our sake, but he did it without sin. brothers and sisters, because you have a faithful high priest who can sympathize with your weaknesses, you can take your burdens to Him, you can trust in Him, you can abide in Him, and you can praise Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we...